everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman and Wen, and welcome to the Love Code. Thanks for joining me for another opportunity to have a wonderful, inspiring conversation. This is a program that really is dedicated to allowing us to remember who we truly are, what this journey in life is all about, which is really a spiritual journey. Everything in this life is about a spiritual journey. It's about our awakening. It's about the experiences we create in life to remind us of just how powerful we are and how we have the ability to create our life, create our health, create our relationships, and to step into a more profound knowing of who we truly are. And as always, I just have wonderful, inspirational guests that are here to remind us of the greater truth of life. And that's what today's guest will be doing. We're going to be talking with Sarah Grace. And um, she has a book, and we're going to be talking about her um, real-life stories of a psychic paramedic. And uh, well, let me just share a little bit about Sarah and how I found Sarah. The psychic, um, uh, Sarah is a psychic paramedic turned holistic first responder <laughs> who used her psychic abilities while working as a paramedic in the busy California 911 system for 15 years, helping countless people through extreme crises and death. She became a specialist in physical and energetic support during people's worst moments. Sarah is now a best-selling author thought-active speaker, and intuitive healer. Specializing in psychic surgery and holistic treatment programs, she can help you pull your life out of the ditch, no matter how severe your current situation. So, Sarah Grace, welcome to the show. It's such an honor to have you here, and I look forward to our conversation. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me on. Hello, everyone listening. (laughs) Yeah, Sarah, you know, you have such an interesting life. So I just want to share with everyone that um, I'm so grateful that I was able to find you and make contact with you. But uh, the way that happened was I'm a member of the Gaia Network. And if anyone has not yet checked out Gaia Gaia TV, Gaia Network, Gaia.com, I believe, um, check it out because there is just, such a treasure of people and and programs and uh, inspirational theories. I, I it's one of my go to places instead of getting caught up in meaningless television. <laughs> I go to Kaya and get inspired on a regular basis. And uh, one of those shows, uh, Sarah, you were interviewed and you did such a great job. I was really so happy I landed on that interview and. Uh, I was inspired by what you were sharing and what you're doing and uh, found you. And you gracefully, <laughs> gracefully, great, great surname as well, gracefully responded. So um, this is, you know, just a delight to have you on the show and truly inspirational. So, again, welcome and uh, and hopefully people will be as inspired as I was when I heard that first interview. Well, thank you. Yes, it was a beautiful interview. I was on uh, uh, Open Minds with Regina Meredith just recently, and it just came out. And, yeah, I I concur with you. I agree. Guy is a wonderful place. And so if people haven't checked it out yet, 
got a treasure trove, like you said, of wonderful things. So thanks for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. So, so um, Sarah, what really uh, inspired me in the conversation? Well, first of all, I just thought you were so clear and so present, and I just really felt that you were just so um, uh, a, a just beautiful spirit speaking, and it, it, you were just it had a beautiful presence. I think that's what attracted me. To you in that interview, most of all, I just felt you were, your heart was so open, and you were just this, you know, um, I don't know, I would say this this beautiful spirit speaking this this work. So um, yeah, you inspired me, and um, I think your message is so important. So before we get into what you really have found as your purpose and direction in life, and what you're doing now. Let's talk about your journey, because I always find that it is a fascinating conversation to ask people to share the experiences in life that they encountered and the challenges that they encountered that were the key experiences that ultimately led them to their true spiritual purpose in life. So um, should we just jump in and talk a little bit about your experience in the past and your journey that led you to doing the work you're doing now? Absolutely. Yeah, it's been quite a wild ride. (laughs) So I was raised in South Dakota uh, in the middle of nowhere in a tiny town pre-internet, so before there was access to any outside world or information. And when I was seven, with no fanfare, um, one morning I woke up and I could the auric field around people is how it started for me. And from there, it proceeded over the next couple of months into seeing uh, disease in people's bodies, hearing, you know, intentions, um, seeing dead people. It just kind of kept expanding on and on. And just being a little kid, I didn't know. You know, I was just cruising around doing my thing, just trying to be normal and fit in like anybody. And I just thought it was part of how everyone was. And when I finally said something about it, my family, my home life was very volatile, um, not not safe or stable. And so I was hesitant to say anything. But when I finally did say something about it, uh, unfortunately, I was met with the hellfire and brimstone, so kind of the shame, condemn, um, misunderstanding. And so I developed a, you know, I thought something was wrong with me. I was like, what the heck, you know? And um, from that moment, at such a young age, I developed a sense of toxic shame because I was like, why am I weird, you know? I don't want to be sent away because I'm like this. Like, what is this? And the stimulus just would not, it, it wouldn't go away for me. It was always present. And so I spent the early part of my life navigating a highly volatile situation uh, at home and then kind of awash in this high sense perception. And it was a double whammy, if you will. And so after my, uh, I graduated high school, my mom passed away uh, relatively abruptly, and then I kind of went out into the world, and I was lacking any sort of real stable foundation real sense of security or identity or, you know. And so here I go out into the world uh, still navigating all of this stimulus that just, for me, 
I was really annoyed by it because I didn't want it. Um, I didn't feel that I had asked for it. <laughs> now I know better, but you know, like in terms of the, mm-hmm. the life I didn't, I was like, what is this? Why is this? And why won't it go away? And, um, I really had a battle with myself. And so I actually went off the rails, um, as a result of that toxic shame and this, fear and insecurity that something was really wrong with me as a result of these abilities and not wanting the abilities. And so for me, I started coping with, you know, partying, drugs, alcohol, and um, I actually ended up having an overdose and a near-death experience. And the near-death experience for me was very important because I was done. I was like, yeah, I'm not into this whole human life thing. This is just a bit too much for me, you know. But when I got into the expanded state of awareness and consciousness, uh, you know, I was met with a voice, a female voice, and they gave me a choice whether or not I was going to continue with the incarnation. And essentially, she was like, she was far more eloquent than this, but she was like, we get it's hard. This is a very hard path you're on. But if you choose to stay, you're going to be able to help a lot of people with it, you know. And so... Obviously, I chose to stay incarnated, not knowing that I would still land back kind of where I was, and I'd still have to do a tremendous amount of work to pull myself up by my bootstraps, start changing behaviors, you know, start taking responsibility for my life, start getting educated about what these abilities are. And so that um, began a very, very long odyssey that eventually landed me in, I, I moved all over the country and done all kinds of different things in, in my early days and then landed in uh, Southern California. And my intuition, every time an ambulance would go by, was like, you know, kind of do that. I kind of had that sense, that lean into that, but I was so scared of it, Cheryl. You know, I was like, paramedic, what are you talking about? Like, I can kill people. No way, you know. I didn't understand that there was a million steps between where you start and then where you end up as a senior level paramedic. But eventually, um, you know, my life was, I was kind of down down and out. Like, I was in a rough spot, floundering around, not knowing what I was doing. I was in a new city, and I was still being bombarded by the stimulus. And so I was like, well, all right. I don't have anything to lose. I may as well go do it. So I went through the UCLA EMT program and started my paramedic career uh, in South Central Los Angeles, which is a very urban, busy area. And that began this beautiful odyssey um, where I was able to ultimately utilize my gifts um, in, you know, as people were dying. I became the paramedic who was always there for death in the extreme crises calls. And I at first didn't know what it was. I still, I was still closeted, you know, which comes with its own whole thing. You know, I think it's important for us to talk about that. Like when we don't feel, when we feel different or odd or like there's something wrong, which I now understand because I work with a lot of people with uh, gifts and abilities. When we don't feel we fit in, when we have that sense of shame, like and when we keep that quiet or closeted, that can create a lot of havoc in our lives, right? But as a paramedic, it just started flowing through me. And so I could actually watch the chakras releasing 
and it looks like a ribbon unfurling. It's really beautiful from the base of the spine out the crown, and I'd watch the soul exit out the crown of the head, and we'd be doing CPR, and I'd watch the deceased loved ones come in, and I knew the second they crossed, and yeah, it, it became a very beautiful thing, but oh, it was a, a long, hard journey <laughs> to to get to yeah. where I am yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, and I think, um, you know, so many gifted people. I know, I know so many gifted people who came in with a lot of challenges in their life early on. I mean, I know you. You know, basically, when your mother died, you were were you an orphan at that point? Did you have any relatives that guide you, or were you just kind of untethered? Into the world. I I still had my my dad, but he was in his grief process, and we hadn't been that close anyway. So I pretty much went untethered, and yeah. um, very unprepared. You know, not only for just yeah. like the day to day life, but then, oh, what do you do with all of these sensations? And when you feel everybody's emotions, and you know, what do you do with all of that? Like I didn't have anywhere to put that. You know, for so long, and. My understanding now is that, you know, I have an understanding that this was part of my incarnation. This was part of my dharma. And I honestly believe that there's a level of, it's kind of like a pay-to-play and where we have to be tested. And for me, I have been burned to the ground so many times in life, you know, just by all the extreme challenges and things that I've been through that it's just gotten me to this very, like, raw space of, like, well, you know, I'm just here to show up and, like, do what I meant to do. And it's in that forging in the fire that my abilities have really become honed, right? And I think that it's an important part. It's not a fun part. You know, it's not fun for those of us that are like this and have gone through extreme challenge. It's not fun. And at the same time, I do believe that it's kind of part of the part of the process. Yeah. Well, you know, to go through so much abuse and then this poor little lost soul <laughs> for a while, you know, having gone through this, you know, uh, lost and abusive childhood with um, with these sensitivities, and then. Um, like you said, you went out into the world totally unprepared and dealing with all the emotion, unresolved emotional pain. So, you, you know, you, you know, you, you live this crazy wild life, right? You just got into everything to numb the pain out. Um, yes. I wanted to ask this though, when you had that overdose, that near death experience, which must have been a pretty, you know, obviously to try to take your life you're a little you're at a very low place in your life um when when you had that voice and you had that experience which obviously was a beautiful experience when you die it's you know it's beautiful experience and mm-hmm. um but when you came back when you were given that choice when you made that choice did you find that at that point onwards as you were still on this journey of healing yourself did you find that there were uh, guideposts along the way, Sarah? Were there, were there people that showed up to help remind you? Were there experiences you had? 
that kept you on the path? Because like you said, there was a lot of work and a lot of healing that you needed to do before you could step into your real purpose in life. Did did you find that there was more guidance that way? Absolutely. Yeah, my intuition has always come in very clear. Um, clairvoyance is my strength and just kind of claircognizance with just knowing. It's like I'm just very guided. So I have that and there's, it's, it's as you're saying, you know, people come in and invitations and doors open and different things. Like it was still up to me to do the work to get myself cleaned up and do the work to start to make changes and be open to learning about this because I wasn't, I wasn't open to the psychic world at all and because of the shame and then because I spent 25 years closeted you know I didn't uh, I had a lot of judgment I had a lot of fear and uh, as I started to lean into and just be curious about like okay why is it that I know what's going to happen before it does why is it that I taste metal when death is near, why is it that I can see this person's like, you know, and I started to just become curious about things. I had to then learn, go into and learn about all these different things, but the people would come in at those right moments, right? And a lot of times, I mean, it's, you know, life is life and it can be really challenging. And, um, you know, sometimes I stomped around and, you know, because I, when I was in that expanded state of, the overdose and near-death experience, everything felt so tranquil and loving and beautiful. And then I came back to duality in contrast. And I was like, man, what did I do, you know? And so it was kind of that paradox of like, okay, yes, I said I would do this. And I knew intuitively that there's a bigger purpose, you know, for me here. It didn't take away kind of the, the grit of it, you know. But, yes, absolutely, the people come in at the right time. And that's the, the paradox, isn't it? You, you have this profound experience that you tapped into for that eternal moment that you had a greater purpose and that it would be revealed. And then you come screaming back into the body, <laughs> right? Yeah. you have to- and then you have to do the hard slog of doing the, the healing within yourself to allow you to fully fulfill your soul's real purpose here. So it's like, you, you know, you, you, there's no way to just to slide in to this um, expanded state of, of balancing one's life again. You have to heal from within. You have to do the work on healing the pain and the shame, which we all have to deal with in some degree or other to really be able to raise our frequency to get to that place where we can truly fulfill your destiny. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it was interesting because I was young and still in the Midwest in college when I had the overdose. And so I I still had a number of years before I got into um emergency medical services as a first responder. And uh, when I overdosed, it, this, this is to your point in how, you know, to God, like to me, the way I look at everything now, like everything is God. Everyone in front of me is like a teacher and I am to them and they are to me and it's equal. And I'm always kind of looking for that. But back then I wasn't in that space. Um, but I had the overdose, woke up, chose to come, woke up, 
called 911. So this was my first experience with 911 ever. And, well, personally. And the paramedic that came, I'll never forget as long as I live. And I think, I think this is really important. And it speaks to what you're saying, like when we had the eyes to see, right? This guy was just a jerk. Like a jerk. Like here I am just like, you know, a mess on the floor, having like one of the worst moments of my life, just like died and come, choosing to come back. And here's this guy just being a jerk, you know? And I remember clear as day on the way to the hospital, thinking to myself, if I'm ever in a position like that, I'm going to do it differently. And that was so powerful to me because, boy, did I. You know, when I became that, I was able to utilize these abilities and uh, to really help. And it's really in, one, we as paramedics and first responders, uh, you know, we're a different breed anyway. We're running towards what everybody else is running away from. And there's something in our wiring, right? So the chaos and violence of my upbringing allowed me to be very familiar subconsciously with that world. And so I was like a duck to water, right? And it's just interesting how we can take these experiences that we have, and when we do our work, we do the integration, then we can, it becomes wisdom, right? So I really am grateful now for, I mean, everything that I went through, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. You know, I barely survived it, right? But, like, it, I'm grateful for it now because, mm-hmm. like, every – like, I would be able to run these 911 calls and I'd go on overdoses. I'd go on suicide attempts. I'd go on, you know, death and trauma and show up with personal firsthand experience of it, right? And that lends to a level of energetic awareness. And people can feel that. People can just feel it, you know, when you've been there. And I utilize that now in terms of my um, healing practice. You know, it's like there's a safety because I've had addiction. I've overcome addiction. I've gone through a lot of a lot of stuff, and uh, I don't have any judgment about it. Like, I totally get it. You know, we're all human doing the best we can. And so uh, that's kind of how I've taken uh, and learned and applied the wisdom over over the years. And it certainly gives you that compassion, right? When you've been there and you know what it's like to be in those depths and the choices you make based on all that pain and suffering, you have such deep compassion for others now. You know? Oh yeah. You, you, uh, you know it's right. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, there's just something when you've lived it, um, and somebody else is going through it, they can sense that. Like they can sense when you're looking into their eyes and you're like meeting them in that moment, they can sense it. And for that, and talking about the price of admission again of being like this energetically in integrity, um, it's it's worth the price of admission in that because now I've gone on, you know, I mean there was thousands of 911 calls and now, you know, thousands of clients and it's just been like this thing that's continued to move forward and it's continued, it's about serving and then it's neat because it's still meeting people like wherever they are, right, with no judgment. Yes, yes. So talk, let's talk about your experience when you were doing your um first responder were you were you, is a first responder the same as a paramedic or are they two different fields so first responders that's a great question first responders encompass uh paramedics 
law enforcement and fire department, as well as uh, the helicopter rescue. So we're all, there's different divisions, but we're all the first the first people that show up when. Okay, so you're part go, of this things bigger team. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so, so let's talk about um, what you were experiencing when you were called to these, you know, to these crises, to these accidents, to you know, a variety of, you know, situations where people were severely injured, where people were dying. And um, the experience you had, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but let's just delve into it because, as we were saying before we got on to uh, our show today, it's so important for us in our culture to have a greater understanding of the part of life which is death. And um, we're brought up to fear death and to avoid it. And um, unfortunately, we miss the, the gift and we miss the greater truth and therefore we miss how to live our life. So this is such a gift that you bring to people because you have been part of this process of transitioning and seeing it and helping it and being there yourself. So. Can we share a little bit about this process we call death and what your experience was when you were doing all the um, first responding experiences there? Absolutely. So my experience on a call would be very matrix-like. Everything would slow down and become crystalline. And so all sensory detail uh, became available to me at once. And so I went into an expanded state. My energetic field expanded and I felt stuffed with cotton. Like I felt very uh, large energetically, but very slow and fluid. Uh, I always taste metal when death is near. That's just my own personal towel that I've always thought was curious and interesting. And I noticed there's kind of a symphony that, that accompanies death. So initially, just like anybody, if you haven't seen the dead body, the first time I saw a dead body, my first dead body was my own mother. But in the field, um, you know, it's it's jarring because you're just like, what the heck? You know, it doesn't make sense to the mind. And again, societally, we're not educated. We're not, you know, taught. But over time, I was blessed to be in in present uh, as many, many people were actively transitioning and then navigated hundreds of dead bodies in different capacities. And I noticed that there was kind of this organized symphony to the chaos. So there's a difference between a traumatic death as far as what the soul experiences versus a medical death, okay? So a medical death could be, say we're hospice and it's unexpected. We have an end-stage disease process. Well, in that, oftentimes the person, and we hear a lot of this uh, in the near-death experience world, which I love. So the person who is about to transition, their field starts to expand, their veil starts to thin, the auric lining starts to thin, and they start to, you know, they can astral travel, they can see uh, deceased relatives coming in, there's that, all of that that's happening, whether it be days or weeks ahead of time. In the moments of death, it it was cool because the it looks like a ribbon and it's a multicolored it's almost like a opalescent um or opalesque um ribbon that starts at the base so kind of in the tailbone coccyx area and then it will go 
and unfurl over up the chakras. And sometimes it would take, like, sometimes it would be really slow, and I would watch. And sometimes it would just be, like, over the course of a few seconds. And very neat to watch, but I noticed that the detailed patterning of the energetic imprint that was releasing was always kind of the same. So if you look at, you think of the vertebral column and the chakra column, and you think of the uh, ribbon unfurling, well, the soul is actively moving up towards the crown. I found out over witnessing this countless times and talking to people as they transitioned, oh, that's, that's what the light at the end of the tunnel is. I was like, ah, look at that. Okay, wow. And so then I would see most oftentimes, sometimes they would come out the heart chakra, but most often they would just come out the top of the head, out the crown. And the soul would usually look like just like a little pup mist. And then I would usually see in medical death, it would be um, deceased family members, it would be religious archetypes, and it would be pets. And they would be hovering kind of up in the right corner of the ceiling. And I would watch a reunion uh, in my clairvoyant vision. I'd be watching the reunion there. And depending on why we were there, if I needed to start CPR and prep for transport and start an IV and do all my things, or if it was uh, do not resuscitate and time pronounce death, when we would pronounce death, whatever I needed to do on the practical side, I was doing both. So I was working in the energetic, and then I was also working in the practical. So that was kind of the medical experience. And then in a traumatic um, what wait, wait, can I, can I, yeah, you, please. Wait, can I stop you? When you're in a medical, when, when someone is in, you know, medic, in that medical situation and they are uh, unfurling and their soul is leaving, is there an energy or a feeling in that room at that time that you pick up on or that people feel as well when that release yeah. happens? Yes. Um, Oftentimes, it would feel thicker, so uh, the energy would be thicker. It would be warmer. Sometimes there would be smells or fragrance, depending on the person's culture. And then even, like, fire, like over time, firefighters and, and people, like, I didn't say anything about this for a solid 10 years because I wanted to fit in, you know. Um, but they could mm-hmm. feel, like, what I was that I was sensing. And so over time they started asking questions. And so a lot of those guys are not as um, open to their intuition, but even they could sense, you know, in, in the final moments um, that there is definitely a, a shift in. And so usually it's going to be the texture, the temperature or fragrance is what I noticed. And is there a sense of, of that person who releases from the body do you, do you, have you picked up a sense of joy um, from that process of leaving the body and returning to a, a spiritual dimension? Um, so yes and no. Uh, to me, death is like taking off a heavy coat. As someone who's gone through her own experience and then watched a lot of people go through the experience, there's really nothing to fear. And... Um, you know, it's a lot for the mind to get around. So the mind's still freaking out sometimes, you know. I mean, it's it's different if you have a beautiful death setting of an end-stage hospice where you have all the family around and it's expected and everything is, like, super dialed in. 
That's that's so beautiful, and those people that have that are very fortunate. Then there's other people that are maybe they um, have an exacerbation of COPD or asthma, or they have an anaphylaxis, or they have a cardiac dysrhythmia, and something happens, and they didn't necessarily know, right? It's it's not as abrupt as a trauma, but it's, like, more jarring. Those guys usually have a lot of fear in their eyes, and I'll watch their eyes, and I'll look in their eyes, and as they're transitioning, so they'll go agonal respirations, which is like guppy breaths, and then eventually the heart slows, and then the, it's, the soul is exiting the crown, and eventually the heart stops and it releases. And as it releases, I love watching in their eyes because there's fear, 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 and once they expand and see, they're like, ah, and then boom, they release the body. And the pupils naturally fix and dilate it. It's part of the physiology process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And then when you have those traumatic deaths that you find and you know, in your work and accidents and overdoses, what's what's that experience for you? And how so that, what have that, you learned? That one's very different in that uh angels come, celestials come. Nine times out of ten. Uh hmm. so here's Here's what I noticed, and this is why I'm such a huge advocate, and I love what your show is about and what you're talking about um, with Live Fully Now, okay? Because I can't tell you how many people, how many calls I ran, they woke up, you know, they had their cup of coffee, they got dressed, they're driving to work, and boom, they get T-boned, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's it. They're done. And every single day, they would run calls like this um, in some capacity, you know, gunshot wounds or drive-bys or car accidents or falls or whatever. And so we would be arriving on scene, and there's a lot to navigate logistically for these calls, but I would all, almost always see, first I got to deal with the patient. If it's actually, you know, we'd have to deal with that. But then I would go into my expanded state of awareness, and as the person was starting to, like, come to terms with, so what I would see would be like if there's a body, somebody say somebody just got shot in a drive-by. And we pull up, so there's a physical body on the sidewalk. And their soul would be standing next to their body looking down at the body. Or the same would be the same for like in a car wreck. Their, their body's crumpled in a car, they're standing outside the car looking in. And they can't make sense of it. They're like, what the heck? What the heck? Because like literally you're in the body and then boom, you're out, knocked out of the body. Just like that, right? So there's a process that happens in that. And what I saw was that um, angels or celestials would come in and blanket the entire scene with just this love. It was just a, a just warm vibration of just love. And it just calmed the frequency of everything. And then that would get the, the soul's attention, the person who just died. They'd be like, what the, what, what? And they'd start to, like, turn and look at this really beautiful angel and uh from there i would usually watch them go merge with the celestial and then they would disappear from view and so do you have any questions about that or thoughts about that yeah i I could talk about this forever (laughs) yeah and when you say so so a person who has a sudden unexpected event happen gunshot car accident so they're shocked, and they're so I I just keep 
thinking of the movie Ghost, right? Where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that was such a profound movie <laughs> where you're shot right. out of the body. But um, so these angels, what, what are, what's your understanding of angels? My understanding of angels is that they are uh, a consciousness of a higher dimension and that there's many different types. Um, they, to me, I, the, they're very beautiful. The energy that they emanate is very beautiful, whether it was a, um, just a bright white light or a cobalt or a purple, like any of those kind of could shimmer through. A lot of times I wouldn't see a face. Uh, it would just be kind of the outer resonance of the of the being. When I did see faces, they were androgynous. So like the most beautiful person, if you will, but androgynous. And so I, they would often be between eight. They were usually over eight feet. Some were 10, some were 12 feet. Um and they wouldn't really say anything. You know, it's not like they're coming in as like a totem messenger or coming in as some sort of, they're coming in for a purpose, which is to anchor this kind of this serenity or this just calm resonance. And my understanding of what they were up to was the person, in order for the soul to cross and transition, there's got to be kind of a vibrational level of understanding and acceptance by the soul. Right, and so if you're just cruising, you're just coming out of Starbucks drive-through, and you get T-boned, you're just trying to have your coffee, and that's it. You get knocked out of your body. You're not trying to go. There's a lot of people that are really upset about that, and so they're mm-hmm. like trying to crawl back into their body, and they can't, and they can't understand why. Well, the celestial would come in and calm the scene, and there was a resonance that had to happen, so that person could eventually come into acceptance to transition. So that was kind of what I developed my was my working theory over all the times that I saw that firsthand. So it's like there are beings that are taking care of us from other dimensions. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's a reassuring thought, right? Right there. Mm-hmm. Know that mm-hmm. we're being looked after from from other from other dimensions, other frequencies, and, and mm-hmm. you know, to think that when you have an accident such as you were describing and suddenly these presences show up, that's, that's, that's profound to know that we're never alone in a sense. Yeah, that was absolutely beautiful to witness, you know, I mean, considering the carnage that I was working on and navigating in the tangible because I still had a job to do in terms of, you know, um, taking care of CPR and IVs and drug administration and all the things. Uh, but being able to witness that was uh, truly breathtaking and exquisite. Uh, but you got to understand, too, I what do you do with that? You know, here I, I still wasn't open. I still wasn't talking about it. So I would go have these experiences almost every single shift. And then I go home and I got to, like, do laundry and make – I had young kids at the time. Like, now I got to, like, make my kids, you know, pack their school lunch. You know, it's like, wow, it was such a, you know, a juxtaposition, such a paradox. And I just didn't know 
what to do with any of it for so long. And that continued kind of my internal strife and my, like, I was really, you know, ticked off um, a lot of the time because I just wanted to, like, the stimulus and the, the amount of energy when you go on a call like that, everything, it's like being plugged into an electrical outlet. So all the cells in my body would illuminate and I'd be running this higher frequency to be able to, like, navigate all these different currents. Well, when the call ends and the person transitions, it's like being unplugged. Well, that takes a toll, you know, on the physical body, the endocrine system, the nervous system. I didn't know any of that back then. Like, I didn't know what to do with that, you know. So I was still kind of limping my way along. Um, but it was a it was a SIDS call that actually finally changed everything for me where we had a six-week-old and, uh, you know, the firefighter comes running out with this little tiny baby in his hands, no bigger than a cabbage patch doll, and he pretty much just, like, hot potatoes me, this dead kid. And, like, by this time, I'm super senior-level medic. I've run tons of calls. I'm like, but I don't care who you are. If you're holding a dead baby in your hands, like, you freeze for a moment. And it was in that moment where I was holding this child that the energy knocked me out of my own body and took me over so normally the energy would come from behind me and it would blanket this it would just you know calm the scene from between like just a resonance would come from between my shoulder blades and calm or it would just work through my hands or I would just know I'd never been knocked out of the way but we I think it was due to the magnitude and I had young kids at home so it was really hitting a, a nerve for me and I, Sarah, watched kind of from the roof of the ambulance. I was watching myself run this call, which was spirit essentially running this call through me. We got the baby to the hospital. Baby made it. Baby survived. But that was the call that changed everything for me, Cheryl, because I was like, all right, like you can work through my hands. You can tell me what's going to happen, but I am not all right. <laughs> with you knocking me out of my own body. Like I don't even know what any of this is and no way. Too much, way too much of a control freak for that. So, but that was the one where I was like, okay, like I finally had to come to terms because before I'd kind of been observing and writing it and like, but still not really saying anything. And now I was like, okay, I have to face the fact that what I was told about this, right, when I was young was incorrect because I'm utilizing so that it's bad or wrong or like demonic or I'll be sent to a loony bin. That's what I was told. None mm -hmm. of that resonated with what I was doing. What I was doing was helping people in their worst moments, right? And so I had that mm -hmm. moment of like, okay, so regardless of what I've been told, regardless of the fear, regardless of the shame, this is my lived experience. This is what's happening. So how about I get educated? What is this? Why am I like this? Right. Mm -hmm. And once that door opened for me, it really started to change everything because here I thought I was this lone weirdo, you know, but now I understand there's millions of people. It's like 10 to 20 percent of the world's population is energetically sensitive, you know, or on the spectrum of energetically sensitive. That's 1.6 billion of us, you know, mm -hmm. and then going and learning about all the different for me, I started with Reiki, and then I went into shamanism many, many years, medical intuition, mediumship, just different types of energy healing, and ultimately into psychic surgery. And I really had many, many years, like 15, almost I'm going on 20 years now, being in that world and kind of 
healing myself while simultaneously becoming educated uh, about what this is and why why I'm like this. That was a major a major turning point in your life because up to that point, even though you were doing this work and had these kids, you still carried that past trauma with you of of um, judgment of yourself. And then Very at much that so. point, so that point at, at, that you described, you suddenly embraced the gift, released all the past misperceptions, and then moved on to get the teachings and work with people who are helping to guide you and develop more of the abilities. So it's like a total different energy change for you, wasn't it? That was massive. Yeah, it really was. And after that point, so I'm still a licensed paramedic, and I still speak at paramedic conferences with physicians. Uh, I no longer run 911 calls because I have my own practice. And what had happened is once I had that turning point, I was still – Skeptical, I was still hesitant, but my I was just kind of being nudged and pushed to lean into this world more. And it's funny, it's hysterical to me because it's like, what could be more like like paradoxical or polar opposites, like energy healing and like metaphysics and like SWAT dudes and cops and firefighters and paramedics is like the most biggest, you know. And so it's such a an odyssey for me to kind of bridge those parts of myself, right? And yeah. uh, eventually, though, I, you know, got into, I, through my studies and listening to my own guides, uh, they had me just, you know, working with people. At first, I started with friends and family, and then it just kind of started on its own, very organically unfolding, and now it's, it's become what it is. So now it's psychic surgery and helping a lot of people through trauma recovery, addiction recovery, understanding their own gifts, you know, it's. It's pretty cool stuff. Well, let's let's talk about that. But I just before we do that, I just want to say, so like the first ten years, you didn't tell anyone when you were doing your first responding work that you had these gifts. And then I gather the last five years, the cat was out of the bag. Um, did that did that influence your you know your peers and your work? Did they come to you? Did they want to? Did they ask you for advice, guidance? Did they get curious? about their own abilities, what what happened when you were, you know, you, when you came out, so to speak? Very, yeah, very much so. So a lot of times <clears throat> people liked working with me, excuse me, because I would always, I would have these experiences, excuse me, I would have these experiences. Um, and so I found that we would almost be doing like, you know, front of the ambulance therapy sessions where they would start to open up about their own stuff or their own traumas or their own, you know, experiences. Um, and there was more of a curiosity. And, you know, I'm certainly not alone in this. You know, there's a, tons and tons of nurses, tons of doctors, some firefighters, some uh, police officers who are also like this. And so they're still a little hesitant. Mm-hmm. Uh, to come out, but, you know, once I finally was just like, this is how it is for me, because they could feel it, you know, they knew something was going on, um, they didn't know what, but then once I finally started to talk about it, it would be like, they, you know, we'd share in a death experience, and we would kind of compare notes, if you would. Hmm. You're so interesting. Um yeah, you know, how, 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 how special, you know, if more people 
in that um, profession of being those first responders had that well, did their own healing first of all, right, and then open mm-hmm. to the spiritual dimensions. They would truly be angels <laughs> arriving at a scene to, to help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so many levels. So let's talk about what you're doing now. Let's talk about. So you said you're doing some um, psychic surgery. People may mm-hmm. not know what that is, so maybe we can just define mm-hmm. it and then talk a little bit about that. Well, psychic surgery technically is kind of a specialty specialty branch of energy healing. There's a lot of different types of uh, energy healing out there, and a lot they're all beautiful. It's like spokes on a wheel or branches of a tree, right? And so I've found through all of my different years of training, it makes sense that I've arrived at psychic surgery because I'm so familiar with anatomy physiology and so familiar with what organ systems look like because I've literally seen them, you know, inside and out on people. So psychic surgery is a total system reset. And it's almost like, I made jokes that I that I pressure wash and root people for a living, but it's, it's kind of true. <laughs> You have to think of, like, the auric field is a semi-permeable membrane, and it has thousands of energetic transmissions coming and going all day, right? So it just you got your body, and then, you know, right around your body, you've just got this energy, and it's just the energy's coming and going. Well, we – the energy wants to flow through the chakras. It wants to flow through the meridians. So because of toxins and trauma and, you know, all this life, like, we've all had experiences that start to block up our system. And when the energy gets blocked up over a prolonged period of time, then there ultimately is going to become some sort of physical, mental, or emotional imbalance. So in psychic surgery, what I'm able to do is I'll I'll essentially help the person to release. It's like losing a 1,000 pounds of energetic crap that wasn't, you know, it's maybe partially there's partially collective, but regardless, they no longer need it and then get down into the root of whatever their issue is. So say someone is navigating um, a lot of long-term judgment or fear, and that may present as like a fibromyalgia or some sort of tumor or cyst, and then we can go into that specific body system, right? Do the repair work to begin to, all it is is getting the energy to perfuse and flow through. And usually what mm-hmm. happens when we when we have that, happen is the person will have some sort of big release or catharsis or memory triggered or some sort of energetic movement, right? And then from that point, we'll just get them all stabilized. So essentially, it's in auric field clearing, hemisphere balance, chakra realignment, meridian flush, and then getting into the specifics of whatever that person's issue is. Make sense? Well, it makes sense to me how profound because you're working on all these levels to to create this energetic flow again, and you have to address the trauma because there's trauma, some emotional, you know, issue that underpins all chronic illnesses anyway. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, that's it. So do you do this in person or can you do this virtually? I, I do predominantly all virtually now. I had an office in California for eight years, and um, now I'm out in in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and so I'm doing uh, virtual, and it's just as effective uh, because of 
quantum entanglement and the way that distance healing works. The second somebody gives me permission in the session, uh, their grid comes up and it looks like a hologram to me is what it looks like. It looks like if you think of just like a blueprint, right? Everybody's seen those architecture blueprints. Well, you make that 3D, but you make it a view and that's what it looks like to me. And then I can just see like what's stuck and where it's stuck and like, you know, what's perfusing, what's not perfusing. I can see like what they're doing to cope, what their addictions are. I can see all of that data because that's all it is, is data, right? And then do the work to uh, help them to become, yeah, realign, become back into balance. But most people right now are so tired, okay? We've been through so much uh, in the last three years. And it there's so much shadow integration happening. And I'm finding people are just at their wit's end. So whatever their coping mechanisms they used to work, they're no longer working. Okay. People are being pushed to face their own mortality. They're being pushed to either lean into change and uncertainty or they're shutting down and they're either contracting back into addiction or overdose or suicide or opting out in death. And that's okay. It's part of this part of the whole spectrum of being human. But it, it's it's such a heavy, dense, crazy time and people are just like freaking out and they're so tired. You know, the souls are just, just so tired. So a lot of times just hearing them, meeting them where they are, right, like listening and being able to, because it's almost like I'll take a lantern down into the darkness and just hang out in there with them, and I can sense mm-hmm. and feel what it's like to be them, right, inside. And just that validation I've personally found is one of the most beneficial things I've in my own healing journey and then in working with all these people. So, like, sense of validation and then literally offloading all this heaviness and like restabilizing the nervous system, restabilizing the endocrine system, getting that you've got to get the gut biome back in. Like there's all these things that we do physically um, through protocols and different, you know, programs and stuff. But like in the moment when we're working together, it's really about being seen and honored for where they are and then just resetting their entire system. That's like pulling them out of the ditch. Like I'm still very much a paramedic. It's just now I'm <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's a great metaphor. You know, um, this is so profound what you're doing now in, in this phase of your life in a true service and using these incredible gifts that you came in with. So um, I want people to know that if they want to learn more about Sarah Grace's work, go to her website, Sarah. And that's Sarah with an H at the end, S-A-R-A-H-K-Grace, SarahKGrace.com, because I know you offer a lot of services and programs. But that work you're doing of really going into the hologram and rotorootering, yeah. I get it. That's so deep. I mean, it, should, it would save people so much time and suffering if they could work on that level of healing Yeah. first. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Good. And it's it's not taking their process away. What it is is just getting them restabilized, getting them back to a place where they feel like they've got the energy and the bandwidth, getting them reconnected to themselves. That's what I hear more than anything. Like, oh, my God, I feel so much lighter, and I feel like myself. Like, I forgot what this feels like. Like, that's what I hear more than anything. And from there, then, they can start because we give them, like, a, a program, right? Like, now these tools and these 
meditations and these supplements and these little books and whatever, whatever. So it's really about them feeling empowered, right? So if you're off in the ditch and your life and you're having a hard time, whatever, it's like being pulled up and cleared out and then handed the tools, it's like so empowering because it's about them connecting back to their own power, right? That's my whole jam is like, you you got this, right? It's like we all need help sometimes, right? Just like I've needed help over times and like healers need healers. When everybody's doing the best we can with this stuff. But like when somebody gets pulled out of the ditch and they all, all of a sudden feel like energized again and like not so traumatized with whatever, they feel empowered and that's, that's the juice right there. Yeah. yeah, that's so beautiful. Well, we could go on talking forever, but our... Uh... Time is up. So for people who want to learn more about Sarah Gray, so first of all, get her book, which is about real-life stories of a psychic paramedic, and uh, learn about all the programs and her personal healing sessions at sarahkgrace.com. Sarah, thank you for hanging in there in life, for, you know, being able to do the hard slog and get to this place where you are a true angel and doing such profound work on the planet. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show and just, you know, greatest gratitude to you and all that you have been through and all that you are doing now. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much. And and thank you all for listening for another wonderful, inspirational show. I hope you'll be joining me every Saturday here or or just uh, go to my uh, website, Dr. Cheryl Selman. You'll get all the shows sent to you, or you can go to uh, Podbean or Spotify. Love Code is there. Until next week, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.